Welcome to Beer and Gear with Felix and Wes. Brought to you by Highway Marketing. And we're back with part two of our conversation with Zach Crisp from Epicenter Productions. So you worked for for Ziggy for seven years on mm. and off. What did you was there? Did you move on from there to somebody else, or were you doing things in between there? I was doing, I was doing stuff in between. You know, there was times where I, I didn't do Ziggy's tour for so I found something else. Um, one of the tours I was on with Ziggy. I think I was telling the story earlier. I was in the when I was doing merch. I sit in the production office because I was a tour manager. So in the bus stops, you get up and work. Well, there's nothing to do if you're slinging cotton until about. You know, an hour before doors. Mm-hmm. So I'd get up and I'd go to the tour manager's office and be like, hi, right, what do you need? And uh, one day he gets a call and he goes, oh, I heard him just talking to a guy. And he says, I'm not available, but I may have a guy for you. And he turns and goes, hey, you want to do the Warp Tour? And I was like, okay, what's that? And he goes, it's it's like the biggest rock tour in the world. And I was like, dun, dun, dun. I said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, is it, is it good for my career? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's this is like, <laughs> once you do this tour, like people take you seriously. So... Um, Why don't we have video right now? <laughs> so I, um, I said sure, and uh, it was a big marketing company that was taking care of. It was the AT and T Warp Tour, and AT and T needed somebody to run all of their assets There's on the tour. Nothing more punk rock than AT and T. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It makes me think. Yeah. <laughs> the um, so I, I agreed to do it. Well, I ended up. Uh, you know, the guy told me it's not. It's not bad. It's a good tour. You know, it's it can get intense, but it's a good tour. And so I, I go out and. It gets intense when you find out that they use what they call slave ships for the crew buses that sleep 24 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're lucky, your bus isn't completely full, but I had 18 on mine. Um, they take out, by the way, in case you're unfamiliar with the slave ship, they take out everything that could be comfortable and put bunks in there. Yeah. It's literally wall-to-wall bunks from so front the, to back. The bottom bunk is like the couch. And there are three. And then the the back of the couch folds up and locks in place, and that's the middle bunk. And there's like a luggage compartment that pulls down that's the top bunk. Mm-hmm. And it's used mainly by minor, minor league hockey. Yeah. But they have 20 of them or something like that mm-hmm. on that tour. And it's it's all of the production crew, well, all of the nine. Um, anybody that can't afford The lower level production crew. Yeah, anybody you know? that can't afford I this. still have issues with the name because you're still getting paid. At the end of the day. Yeah. But the um doesn't smell like it on the bus. <laughs> it <doesn't. Yeah. laughs> our our toilet our toilet didn't work for three quarters of the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And this is this is a this is a warp long? tour. I mean it's like uh, it used to be what it's like, two months. Two it's months. The, right? yeah. It basically starts on one coast the day school gets out and ends right before school goes back in on the other yeah. coast. Yeah. And um you know, I was twenty guys to a bus for I, Two and a half months. I had some easy parts. Like I had an office that was an RV that followed us, and I worked out of that every day. And we did meet and greets for, with several of the artists. And um, but you know, it's whoever got up to go to the restroom first stopped up the toilet every day. Um, and when the first person to get in the shower evidently copped up a hairball that stopped up the shower, and it was just mm-hmm. there's just it's disgusting things. And they had a good caterer, but after a while, the food all just started tasting the same. The coffee was just oil, and uh, for for the rock scene. There is nothing. There's there was nothing before, and there'll nothing be nothing again like the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. The artists that it launched. I mean, and, and what Kevin Lyman did with that tour was absolutely amazing. But living on it, it, it definitely was something that um, you know. It was a badge not, of honor. For it was bands. a badge of honor. Yeah, for, for bands had come off after that. You know, yeah. I, I would work with bands all the time. And it's like, what did you do? You know, like, what are you doing this summer? I was on Warp Tour, and everybody go, ooh, yeah, like that was a thing. You know, yeah. you survived the Warp Tour. 
I was in <laughs> punk bands back then. And I remember like, I would love to do Warped yeah. Tour. I am so glad well, that the, didn't the happen. Cool, <laughs> the cool thing that Kevin did on those tours was there was no, there was a, there was a lineup, but not a schedule. Schedule oh. got set day of show. So the big bands the year I was there was um, Kill Switch Engage, Paramore, which you couldn't be much different than the two of those. Yeah. But um, Flog and Molly was out there a little mm-hmm. bit with us. Um, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. There was a couple others, big bands. But they may play at 11 a.m. And they may play at 6 p.m. But the show was over at dark because we didn't carry lights. It just wasn't time. Um, Again, adding to the nice smell of the entire situation. Yeah. All summer, all day. But the, um, you know, if if you wanted to see this band, you had to show up at 11 a.m., which meant you saw every band. You know, there were five stages, but you had the opportunity to see every band. So every band had the opportunity to get discovered. So had, you know, had they had a set schedule where the people you've never heard of played at 11 a.m., you know, Katy Perry would have never been discovered on that tour, you know, and no doubt. And yeah. uh, Paramore, and, I mean, um, there's, there's so many bands that are huge now that were discovered on that. I think Offspring was on it for a while, and that's where my buddy who helped me get on it was with Offspring. Uh, And after I figured out what the tour was actually about on that side, and granted, I was spoiled. I've been on a bus for several years with maximum of 12 people, and then we had shower rooms and, you know, our own catering and whatever. I called him about two weeks in, and I said, Steve, you you told me you you did the Warp Tour, and it wasn't that bad. He goes, yeah, it's not that bad. And I was like, Who'd you do this with? So off, and he said Offspring. He was their production manager for a lot of years. And I was like, I was like, okay, so you did it with Offspring, but did y'all do the whole tour? And he was like, well, we did just on and off. We were on it. And and I said, what? How did y'all travel? He said, we had we had three buses and Dexter's jet. And I was, I was like, gonna say they have a private jet. I said, or you, something like that. I said you didn't you didn't do the you yeah. didn't do the warp tour. That's not the warp. Y'all tour. did some shows. <laughs> and then you went home and showered. Y'all didn't do the warp tour. But, uh, oh God, those slave ships smelled so bad. But I survived oh, and, and have a lot you, of respect for what they did. But. Do you think because the, the, the DNA of Warp Tour is punk rock, and punk rock is rooted in chaos and, and uncomfortability and angst, do you think if that wouldn't happen, if 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 if, if the traveling was if the travel was more comfortable, do you think it would have that I, big of an impact? I don't think something of that scale would be possible without that. But I'm I mean, talking about energy-wise. Without that, do you think it would have been? It felt very DIY. Like it, every time you would go and do that, it felt like. And to your point about the the no schedule thing, mm-hmm. every band on that felt like they were as big as any other band on that thing because yeah. they went through the same. Right, shit. So it was keeping it real it was, to a yeah. degree. Like it was working. They I went guess. through the same. <laughs> I've worked on a couple of those, you know. I didn't do the tour, mm-hmm. um, but I've been involved with local. bands and done some of the the local stuff. But yeah, it was every time you'd show up, the slave ships were the grossest, nastiest, most partying buses you've ever seen in your entire life. And it, it was, was all those little baby bands that were first time out on tour, and they'd never been on a bus before, and they're gonna live it. You know, there, there was a lot of there's a lot of volunteers. Yeah, um, and even daily there were volunteers. You know, they they did things like environmental initiatives. Like there was no glass or plastic on the tour. It it was you know if you ordered water at the bar for what it was worth because everybody was like eighteen and under, it came in a can and then they recycled that. And they had volunteers who got free tickets to come help gather the recycling and they did sponsorship and you know there no were no shampoo bottles in the there bus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it smelled like it. Yeah, um, or soap. But it was there was a lot of stuff that you wouldn't even think of doing on a tour, and it was 
to it uh, to itself. I mean, there's so many of the kids, the people who are on the slave ship. I was one of the odd season touring people on those slave ships. You know, it was usually the Kevin Lyman's crew with Forfini that was on you know a little bit nicer bus um, because they deserved it. They they paid their dues. The production manager on that tour deserved whatever mode of transportation he wanted because he pulled off a three-hour load-in for five stages every day. Um, we opened late once, and it was because of the uh, because of EPA regulations on on fuel. The trucks used to break down a lot the year I was on it. Um, that was two thousand seven or eight. I forget which year it was, but um, but you know most of it was kids who were just getting into this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of them, like, I mean, I had a 12-person crew, and their job was to sit around and talk about AT&T. You know, it wasn't to set up a stage. It wasn't to, um, you know, mix a show. But it, it was sponsorship, and that's what really drove that tour. Um, but it's, I don't, I don't know that, it, I mean, it's the same generation of kids now, but I don't know that you'd get kids to put up with what they put up with on that tour. Uh, you know, it was brutal. I Everything try not I to saw. complain, even though I knew better. Um because it was it was what it was. It was a good experience, you know. I I didn't complain the next time I was on a bus with twelve people, or the next time that the AC went out for one day instead of the whole tour. You know, it. Um, I will say that some of those shows that I saw during that, you know, because I I worked with Warped Tour probably three times on and off in different capacities and saw different things or whatever. But uh, every show I saw there, the energy. To your point on the energy thing, man, especially in the middle of the day, those those bands were working and they were into yeah. it and yeah. it was on and there were no stage hands they were carrying their own stuff in yeah yeah setting it up in five minutes and they had they had a stage know, manager they figured out how to it. set up you know set up to where you knew what band it was because you didn't know because it's not on some it's it's written on a wall at the front of the venue mm-hmm. you know or, or on your app you know or a text message you got so every band had a backdrop that they had to build from the ground because they weren't going to fly it from the stage um at least not on the smaller stages and it was uh, everybody worked and at the end of the day, I mean, people earned the party they had every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people took advantage of that, but, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. It, it's I that just, scene. It was very rock and roll. I just had a flashback of working at a guitar center in the DFW area, and Warp Tour was in town, and this band came in to buy instruments because they got stolen. They got their, their gear stolen. Mm-hmm. And I remember helping the bass player and remembering, man, she stinks. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, just super sweet. <laughs> um, and it was a whole female band, and I remember people talking about it. like, wow, they were so sweet, so sad, they go stolen, but how long have they been on the road, man? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the bands that weren't on buses, they would drive a van, and you had to be there at 11, because if, you're, if your yeah. ticket was pulled at 11 a.m., you're on stage, and if you miss it, you're not, you only miss that day, you could get off the tour. Yeah, they'll kick you off yeah. the tour. But the... Um, you know, so those bands, they would leave. They'd usually stay for the party and then leave and follow the buses and drive all night. Whew. And then as soon as they got there, somebody would go check to see when they go on, and then they would sleep a lot of the time on top of the van. It, it was, I mean, it was full-on gypsy, you know. It was, there's, there was nights I'm like, dude, that guy needs some help. Like, somebody, like, <laughs> can somebody put him to bed after his show? Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to play. Somebody can, hold the guitar Can up. we get him a bed of yeah, some kind? Yeah. Can we cut him off? Like, That's funny. But it's, um. It was a cool experience, as as rough as that tour is, yeah. um, and for so many people in this industry, that's where they either figured out they that's what they want to do and they're passionate enough to put up with that, or that's not what they want to do. They're going to go, I'm going back into accounting, you know. Right. Um, so what so, was the so there was Warp Tour. So after Warp Tour, the next year I got offered the gig again, mm-hmm. and um, there were two sponsors that they wanted me to run the the thing for, and 
um, the they were going to share a bus. And the bus was an RV, not an actual tour bus. So it was going to be my bus. I was going to be the only person on it. And I was going to get to hire assistants. And it was this whole cush job thing. And I'm like, this is great. I'm in. I'll do this for the summer. And uh, Can I bring 25 of my friends so I feel at home? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to hire two assistants, one for each brand. I was going to be over both brands. Wow. And it was going to be my assistant from the year before and my brother. It was going to be great. And then uh, something fell through with one of the clients, and it was only going to be one. And then I'm back on the slave ship, and I'm like, they're like, you still want it? And I made um, I made one phone call, two phone calls, to see. Like, I called Ziggy's people, say, hey, my summer's open. Do you all have anything going on? And then I made one call to uh, a friend of a friend and said, I'm looking for a gig for the summer. I got to decide in like five days, you know, anything going out. And, um, I got a call. It's actually from another marketing company. Um, they needed somebody to go out on the Motley Crue tour and handle rock band as a, um, as a, a brand on the tour. Mm-hmm. So basically when Motley Crue put out Saints the of LA, video game? the video game, okay. this was uh, MTV games. When Motley Crue put out Saints of LA, they saw, sold more copies on rock band than they did on iTunes or Amazon or any other digital means. That's crazy. And so um, Nikki, being the smart businessman he is, says, we should try to capitalize on this. Why don't they come on tour with us? So they hired um, MTV Games, hired a company to put together a um, an activation for them. And so my job was to handle this stage out front where people got to play rock band. There was a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then there was the VIP suite backstage that... We were supposed to do like meet and greets in and it was this whole blown out plan. And then we were going to have somebody who won every night to play rock band on stage. Um, what my job became being was liaising between MTV who thought they were deserved one thing on the tour and the tour who thought they deserved another thing. And uh, it became a very interesting job. It got me working with, I mean, one of the biggest rock bands of all all times I mean right. it's, it's Motley Crue right mm-hmm. um, but also with that level of crew um, you know not to put down the guys on Warp Tour most Warp Tour guys did Warp Tour mm-hmm. um, you know and I did you know Ziggy's guys were Ziggy's guys when I started and they were that till about halfway through me working with him but I was actually working with big time audio guys big time lighting guys big time production managers and for the first time and uh kind of learning how to exist in that space and using that time for me personally to figure out like what job do I eventually want to do because I'm tired of doing this like I, I don't mind dealing with marketing stuff um, and you know on marketing on rock tours is fine you know but what do I what do I want to do and I got what to be, do I want to be when I grow up yeah what do I want to be when I grow up when I get a real job um, still waiting on that but the <laughs> uh, both the growing up <laughs> and getting a real job but you know, I, I got to be friends with Patrick Whitley, who was the production manager on that. And he's, um, you know, there's four or five kings of this industry, and he was one of them, in my opinion. Um, you know, he did he did uh, Kiss for like 30 years. He did Trans-Siberian Orchestra up to a few years ago. Um, and just, you know, A-level of A-levels. And, you know, took time to, to build a relationship with me and talk to me about things. And, you know, got to watch what he did and what each person kind of did on tour and, and kind of, make a decision on where I want to go in life. Uh, if I were to, or I guess had to, at the retrospect, uh, stayed in that industry and decided I wanted to do what Patrick did. I wanted to be a production manager. And so I knew, like, I was an audio guy and I knew I could go mix. I had confidence I could mix on any tour. And, I, you know, there's things I needed to learn if I was going to continue to grow and start mixing stadiums and arenas. 
on a regular basis, but the things I already knew. But I decided what I needed to do was learn enough about everything to know if I walk into a building and you're my lighting guy and you're my audio guy and you say audio audio system's not going to work, to be able to go there and make an educated decision on if you're being a lazy that day and don't want to tune the PA or if it's actually bad equipment or if we got a problem, and same thing with lighting. And so I just needed to learn the different departments. So right. on that tour, I, I got to sit and watch and and talk to uh, Andy Meyer, who's one of mm-hmm. Claire's top guys. Um, last time I already mixed, he was with Timberlake. I think he, he's, you know, who's who type engineer. Um, and then um, Brian Hartley was on lights, who Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and, you know, again, the who's who, top one of the top LDs in the industry, and got to watch and learn what they were doing. And not that I got to get my hands dirty doing that, but uh, got to kind of build a basis for what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. Uh, and and got to be out on a Motley Crue tour. for Yeah, which is no small feat. You know, yeah. that's a, I'm, I'm sure there's, stories but you know <laughs> we'll we'll leave those by the wayside for a yeah. moment <laughs> well part of part of the job that mtv games wanted me to do is i was going to be the two backstage blogger and they wanted me to blog every night and so you know i would uh, first few nights i'm like what what do i talk about and i'm like yeah we had a show it was hot you know tommy came in late you know like what can you talk about because yeah. even if there's no nda there's there's things you don't say Right. And, and not that, I would assume on a Motley Crue tour, there's I, a lot of things you don't say. I wasn't in the rooms where the things you don't say were happening. But So that was my question. Do the things that you don't say still happen, given that it's not 80s Motley Crue anymore? It's still 80s it's Motley still Crue. 80s yeah, Motley it's, Crue. It's, it's 80s Motley Crue. It's never not going to be yeah. 80s Motley Crue. It's yeah, still 80s mind. Motley Crue. I mean, it, it's, it was, it's different, right? Tommy lived. You know, yeah. he came back. Uh, 6 a.m. was on the tour. Um, really? Which, you know, one of the musicians I, I respect most that I've met over the years is uh, DJ Azruba, mm-hmm. the guitar player from 6 a.m. Right. You know, he set in for Slash with Guns N' Roses. Dude is an incredible player, but one of the nicest guys I've ever met on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, really good guy. But, you know, so, you know, Tommy for half the tour had um, his kids out. It was a summer tour. Had, um, he was dating Kat Von D at the time, and she was out on tour with us, you know, which brought the whole entourage of that group, you know, um, uh, I don't know if it's the jackass guys or what, what that group was, but Bam Longoria and all of his friends were out there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, but I feel like, uh, well, Mick, they got Mick out of the hospital to come play. All right. He was, he was dying. He's got that same disease that Ozzy has, the did too many drugs disease, whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, but could still shred. And um, so, you know, Mick was out there with his 20-year-old girlfriend the whole time and did did what Mick did, which was not much. I question her, I question her intentions. <laughs> <laughs> really? He's, he seemed to be a very nice guy. That's no, what I've heard. I'm not talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <I laughs> about no, that's what I've heard about Mick. I've heard yeah. he's a really nice he, dude. I didn't know? have any, I don't know if I had any direct community interactions with him but he seemed really nice but it was it was a weird dynamic on that tour you know the the band had effectively broken up and they came back together this was crew fest one which was supposed to be a 10-year tour and they were hoping to recoup their money over the 10 years and in year one it was such a stacked lineup they made their money back live nation that is um the uh, it was i mean motley crew buck cherry papa roach 6 a.m and trapped mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a strip club. <laughs> it was, uh, I call it Thursday. Yeah. Um, but it was it was just a great show. I mean, between the the full the production quality of what um, 
Motley Crue did with the music that is just legendary to the energy that Papa Roach brought to stage every day. Um, and, you know, Buck Cherry is, you know, they're the world's best bar band. And putting on a party for that's that a many good people. way to put. The, I've never um, heard them described that way, but that is a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. They're the if, world's best bar band. To see them on a major stage just doesn't feel quite right. And I don't know that they put on their show that well on that major stage. But you know, when it when it got down to the you know the slightly too old for leather pants chicks out in the front row, mm-hmm. and he started singing his song, it was it was a party, uh, hmm. and it was a good show. And in six a.m., I mean that I just that's good music, um, and. Uh, you know, trapped. I could take or leave, but that's personal opinion again. Um, but it was such a good show; it was sold out the whole tour. Um, you know, and you know, Tommy is still Tommy Lee, um, and uh, uh, Vince is still Vince. You know, it's, I don't, I don't know. If they've changed a lot. I'm hoping because they're old enough now that what they did in the '80s would kill them over. You know, in a couple hours, but and they're still alive, so I guess they have changed a little bit. But it's, it's still Motley Crue. And uh, it was it was interesting to watch and uh, kind of be a fly on the wall. And, you know, I got to be friends with the uh, head of security uh, and still talk to him every once in a while. I'm not sure what he's doing now. But, um, you know, so I got to – I'd help him with things when he needed help late at night when people wouldn't leave the after parties. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a no-comp tour because they didn't want to get anything backstage that could cause more strife between the band. And um, so everybody once once everybody left, then the party could start backstage. But it was it was it was an interesting dynamic. But it was a it was a cool show. And even like sitting out front, the days I would go out and kind of watch some of the show, it was a it was a good rock show. Hmm. Um, and um, it was and again the, the experience of working at that level. Um, the management picked each person to be this is the best person for this job. This is the best person for this job which was interesting because it wasn't necessarily, uh, the continuity wasn't necessarily there. You know, like if you want to go do a show, you're going to pick your systems tech and then monitor guy, right. and the patch guy, and it's going to be the people who work like you do. It might not be the best guy, but it's the guy you can work it's the, the best guy you're with. Mo- yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're going to get the best out of it. Yeah. But it was, the interesting part was this was not that, it was the best guys. Mm. And um, so there was, it, was, it was interesting to watch those people working together. And... Um, you know, it was a it was a fun two two and a half month tour or whatever it was, and um, I didn't see anything I had to erase out of my mind. I'll put it that way. But I knew where not to go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Don't follow you the can't unsee. Don't some follow the Jaeger machine into that room. <laughs> yeah. you know, just, you just know better. <laughs> or know. anywhere. Or yeah. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't follow the Jaeger machine anywhere. Uh, That's funny. There, there's a few few funny stories I could tell offline, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are nothing that you wouldn't expect. Um, so, what'd you do? What'd you do after the Motley Crue thing? So the one tour I regretted taking in my life, um, I came out. I came off Motley Crue, and I was trying to figure out what to do. I'd been gone. I'd done, I think I did Ziggy in the spring, straight into Motley Crue. Do you have a family at this point? Uh, at this point, I'm, I'm dating my wife, okay. um, but I'm not married yet. Um, I was gone for like six months, four or five months, something long enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who I'm now married to, um, is uh, is excited for me to come home, and I'm excited to come home. We're you know planning a trip or something. And, um, I get a call from somebody needing. Um, they got a band that's kind of reggae. That's a side project for a guy, and they need somebody to take them out. And since I've done reggae, they think it would work well. And I'm like, oh, you know, I I know what reggae is. It's it's the production stance of, ah, and everything will be okay. And it's like, oh, no, we're gonna run this like a product. You know, I, I fought to run reggae like it should be 
and uh, you know, and, and a lot of it is now. It's it's changed a little bit over the years since I got involved with it. But um, I'm like, so tell me something about this artist. What do I need to know? And like, well, he he was in a band in a band called Bad Brains. Woo! And I was like, okay, I I had no idea who Bad Brains was. And uh, and I was like, what is it? And they said the band's called Human Rights. I was like, okay, it fits the motif. And they said it's a HR from Bad Brains. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> and um, I knew you would be. <laughs> and so I have no idea anything about this guy. I'm just like, you know, it's it's a one week tour in the Northeast with a with a guy that I've never heard of, but has been doing this as a career for a long time, and um, and it pays more than it should. How bad could it be? And it's kind of the answer to your own question, right? Famous there. last Pays words, right? More than it should. Well, and I went to I went to Motley Crue's tour manager, and I sort of you know we're out, and I'm like, I want to ask you about a guy I got offered a gig with, and I told him he said, "Don't do it, run, don't walk." And I'm like, "How bad? It's a week. How bad could it be?" And he goes, "Don't do it. You'll find out." And I went against what he recommended, and I found out. Uh, to this day, if I go to Canada, I have to carry paperwork from the FBI saying that I have no issues. With uh, with my criminal record because he got us kicked out of Canada, um, and uh, it's uh, I'm sure it's all public record. But he got he got in trouble in uh, in Canada and got kicked out. And when we, they asked him about it, we were going back in. He went crazy, and all of a sudden the whole band's heading back out of Canada. But uh, that was the one I wish I had never done. Which is crazy because yeah. it's such an iconic. This you is know, the best tour. This is like the no. best tattoo you can get, man. Yeah, yeah. that's that's such an icon. I mean, that's you know, well, and it's the epitome of um, drugged out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I all he did, tight, right? But <laughs> yes, I, he he sat in the van wherever he wanted to with a backpack on backwards, hugging it, and usually a bulletproof vest the whole time, and hardly ever talked. It was it was just the whole experience. It was like, okay, this is what this is how bad it could be for a week wow but um while i was out on that tour i get a call from um i got to be friends with the girl who did merch on molly crew and she was the one one woman wrecking crew for merch and they did a semis worth of merch a night and she was by herself and so she was by herself on by the herself. Molly crew. wow and um and you know <laughs> we we bonded because i'd, I'd done merch and understood it and helped her with some stuff and spreadsheets and um Anyway, she, she calls me and said, hey, I got a tour I can't do. Are you interested in it? I was like, well, what is it? She said, well, it's merch and then kind of assistant tour manager. And I was like, well, when's it start? She said, they want you there. They'd want you there like next week. And I was like, well, it's perfect. I got a tour that ends in D.C. on this date, and I can be there. And they, they ended up wanting me there a day earlier. But uh, there's another one of those. The tour manager calls me as an English guy and talking to him. And um, I'm like, yeah, man, sounds great. Money money's where I want it to be. And worked perfect with my schedule and you know i'll just figure out how i'm getting to uh we final production rehearsals are in bethlehem pennsylvania it's like i'll figure out how to get to bethlehem and let you know what i need was it music fest uh no it was a tour okay i i, I yeah. just say because i've been to bethlehem yeah. for music fest uh, before <laughs> it's the, like a um, cult in there <laughs> yeah they did uh they did rehearsals in new york and then i think i think it was bethlehem we were in maybe in lancaster uh but close to lititz was, right. the, was the plan right um the center of the world for this industry, right? Um, so I, uh, I'm like, well, who is this? It says it's his uh, David Burns tour, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna sound like an idiot, but should I know him? And the guy kind of laughed, and I was like, 
I was like, I just had to learn what reggae was a couple years ago, so help me That's out. That's what here. I love. <laughs> the, the fact that you've gone through all these big names that it's yeah. been like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, you, you'll know him. And I, he's like, he was in a band called The Talking Heads. I was like, okay, I got that. I know Talking Heads. And, um, and of course, again, I started doing a little bit of research. Because I'm going to be selling merch, so i got to be able to talk about him. And, um, and it started, you know, started when the last show in Canada got canceled because we got kicked out. Um, I put the guys in the band and drove them straight to DC overnight. Wouldn't even stop for them to go to the restroom unless I had to go or get gas. And um, then Man, I had to take pissed. I had to. I was pissed. <laughs> um, if I hadn't rented the van because they didn't have a credit card, HR didn't have a credit card, um, I would have left them in Canada and flown home. But um, I drove them to DC and then had to drive back to New York to drop the van off, and then got in the car and they drove me back to the production rehearsals and um, it ended up being one of the coolest tours and if not the coolest tour I ever did I mean first off it's David Byrne I was about to say like we can start with that you figure it out by then (laughs) yeah I mean everybody knows the talking heads not everybody knows that that was David Byrne at least everybody that grew up in Abilene Texas I went to see him on the last tour uh, which was amazing incredible and my wife um, same thing was like I think I heard and then I realized she's singing almost every song I was like oh yeah I know I'm like yeah you know the um this was um, everything that happens will happen today. The, the one he did, the second album he did with Brian Eno, mm-hmm. oh, and uh, which album. You know, at that point I had no idea who Brian Eno was either. You know, <laughs> I was just like I'm the I'm the kid that lucked out and found the free candy. You know, um, say so you just fell backwards into the coolest things. But, yeah. <laughs> Worked really hard to fall backwards. If but we had still. if we had listeners on this podcast, they'll be mad at you. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you can comment below, maybe. Yes. Um, but then I did. Um, so I did the first tour with them, and they liked me. So they brought me back for the second leg. And um, at some point, I got to be the guy that kept the production manager happy because um, I was I was assistant tour manager. So I was dealing with you know the band's junk while the tour manager dealt with also the accounting and you know just checking in and out of hotels and. And then I did I did merch, but in the meantime I helped wherever I could because that's what I did, and I, I kind of became the tour. I call it comedian, even though I'm not that funny. I guess um, I'd make I'd Photoshop pictures. We assigned everybody on the tour a character from the Muppets because we figured out we can make fun of people doing that and not be able, not intentionally hurt people's feelings, even though we hurt their feelings and we wouldn't get in trouble. And the uh, it gave our production manager something to laugh at without hitting that person. And so I became indispensable to him because <laughs> he probably would hit somebody. And I think he would admit it now. And he's one of the guys I still talk to on a regular basis. Were you a Muppet character at any point? I was uh Fozzie. I can see that. I was going to so say, David was not... Kermit, obviously. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, we had, we had a Miss Piggy. We had, uh, um, we had them all. We had an animal. Um, was he the drummer? No, actually, uh, no. Wait, there was a missed it was opportunity. Merch no, yeah. <laughs> a- animal was. It was. Uh, I'm sorry. We had a. Uh, what's the crab? The prawn. Oh, the prawn. Uh, what's his name? It talks like these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we we had a guy name. who. Um, I doubt anybody from the, this tour will hear this, but they'll all know who I'm talking about. And this guy won't listen because he was deaf then. But um, the sound guy <laughs> had gotten hair hair plugs. And oh. so he was the prawn because the hair looked the same. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and he deserved to be made fun of. And he was the butt of a lot of the jokes. But um, Anybody that gets hair plugs. That so means- I've got some great some great <laughs> Photoshop things that I did that are still on my computer. Um, I did the seven degrees between... Uh, um, I was... Um, 
Uh, what's the um, uh, Shea Rivera? Uh, what's his name? The revolutionary guy. Che Guevara. Yeah. yeah. Guevara. And Kevin Bacon. And it was all me. <laughs> it was uh, so I put on a like a, a hat, like one of your hats backwards, and I put on. Uh, I had I did a Jack Black thing and mm-hmm. photoshopped my face into all these. It was hilarious. Um, but it got me the whole tour. We did a full year. And um, as we went, they kind of gave me whatever whatever I needed to work on. We did Bonnaroo. I was I was the lighting guy, and then I guess stage security when we did Bonnaroo. We did, you know, in, in certain countries, I was the guy who hid things. Or not hid things. That sounds like we're hiding drugs, but you know, we'd make sure things got where they needed to be safely. I guess. Did you ever hide drugs? No. Okay. That's one thing I refused. That to was make. a really quick one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's an obvious question. You always have to say no. I did I did forty something countries with Ziggy Marley. Never had any issues. Um, you know, Bob never had any issues. Um, the um, if you're at some level, there's you don't have to, probably don't have to travel with them anyways. It well, there's there's a point where, um, well, I'll say so. Some of the guys, I mean, taking smoke into your lungs is bad for your lungs. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a point where some of the guys just quit smoking. Yeah, you know, even though it's being conscious is a religious thing to them, um, it's not. You can't go out and smoke a joint in front of a cop and not get in trouble. So there's also the reality of if you're not an American and you get busted smoking and in possession, you're not going to be able to come back in. You're going to get deported. And it's not partying for them, especially it's, it's not a party thing. It's not a party thing. It, it's, it's a religious thing. Yeah, it, it, it's Maybe it's like having a, a beer after a show, you know, and, and maybe every night you don't want it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's when, when you need whatever that does for you is when you do it. So, you know, we're not, we shared a, it was the, it was a, the punchline is, uh, you know, Ziggy Marley and Snoop Dogg are in the same hotel, right? That's, that's would be a punchline to a joke or something, <laughs> but it happened. We were in, in the business district in London and we're, we're checking into the hotel and another bus pulls up and there's a, there's a festival and it's one of the closest hotels of the festival, but it's off the beaten path. But this will be great. We'll get to chill. And, you know, we have half a day off and another bus pulls up and I go, great. Who's this? And I, I'm trying to remember who's headlining the festival. And then the, the tour manager gets off the bus and walks in, and the, our bass player knows him, knows her, and uh, it's Snoop Dogg. And I'm like, great. We're Willie Nelson was doing a session down the street. Yeah, yeah. I have a cool Willie story we should get to, but the um, I'm like, this is this is great because even if nothing ever happens in this hotel, something happened in this hotel, right? It's gonna. Well, you know what the the smoke coming out of the top that's the refrigeration unit is now because we're smoking weed you know yeah. it's every night night late night show we did it was the that <laughs> was, was the joke probably turn off all the smoke detectors. I was, I was trying <laughs> to walk down the hall and i couldn't see it's like oh yeah i get it haha ha, he's smoking weed you know but um but snoop dogg is like that <laughs> and yes uh, the, i've worked the, with him he the cops like did that. show up at the hotel and the tour managers down in the lobby freaking out Zach, you got to tell your guys, the cops are here. They're looking for who's smoking weed. And I was like, well, tell your dumbass to quit smoking weed. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, she's like, are you not worried? And I was like, I don't have idiots. Like, my guys are smart and girls are smart. Like, we don't we don't have to worry about this. Like, it, but sure enough, you know, some of his guys had hotboxed one of the balls. And it's like, you can't do that at a hotel. Like, maybe on, a, on an island or, you know, in a part of town or, I mean, in California, it's legal. But... Um, or like a lot of places now, but back then it was just like just Snoop has bought his rights to do it anywhere, and people would be fine. Well, he would, <laughs> what's funny point. is, from what I understood, and I don't have anything to prove this, but him and Martha Stewart, from what I understand, 
he had just been allowed back into the UK for being busted with weed the time before he was there. Which and when he shot his show in L- in the UK, it show it pictured him smoking weed on top of the building, like when he had his reality show, and they banned him again for a period of time. And it's just like you know, quit being stupid. You know, he's one of That's the ones a great that got PR move though. But then you can't go back and capitalize from it, right? Fair point. He was probably <laughs> getting a lot of streams and downloads and sales. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's the, the Snoop Dogg in the hotel. So, so you were out with David Byrne. Yeah. Right? Oh, and yeah, we were talking about Yeah, yeah, yeah David yes. Byrne. Thank so, you. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. So you're out with David Byrne, and you did the uh, and, and you did that tour. Um, and what are we talking about? So here, like, here's something about David Byrne. David Byrne, when I worked with him, was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. He had a Tony. I believe he had an Emmy. He had an Oscar. And uh, who knows how many Grammys. And the dude had no attitude. Um, he'd get dropped off at his hotel. He'd get his bike off the bus, no matter where we were in the world. And most, a lot of the tour, a lot of the band and, uh, and dancers carried bikes. And they would do biking tours of the cities. Um, but there were days he would ride his bike. And if there's any young bands listening to this... <laughs> Take this as an example. He'd ride his bike by himself to the hotel or to the venue. Mm-hmm. He would come in, and I'd be in the production office when he asked permission to eat lunch. It's his food. It's the reason we're there. Yeah. Everything's coming <laughs> off of his bill, and then he's getting what's left over. And he asked. He had no no attitude. And I'm sure at some point in his life there was there was some of that. But you know he's figured it out, and he didn't have attitude. And people enjoyed working with him. But it, it took the excuse of all of these bands who could maybe dream of ever being David Byrne. Having half of the things he's done, it takes that excuse away and it's really killed my patience for working for bands who have these attitudes. It's like, really, what did you do? Somebody produced a song that you sang on and now you think you're something, but you didn't even write it. <laughs> Much less create almost a subgenre right. of, of electronic music that you know, 90% of the world knows. My mom would recognize a David Byrne show and I don't think she's listening to anything, but you know, and he's influenced the, so much. You hear, yeah. You hear, Talking Heads in every after so much pop, after a year of that tour, I couldn't go anywhere without hearing his music. I'm in the grocery store. I'm in an elevator. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm listening to you know, music that the band's playing before they go on. It, it's it's a sample of something he did, or it's the whole song, or it's another version of his song. It's um, you know, just something he's had his hand in. It's it's amazing the impact. He's Would there had have been a Graceland without? talking heads and their whole and his nope. world music thing i mean would that have happened I, I don't think so you know so i mean that's his influence is from yeah. the 70s to today is enormous and, and he's, he's asking being, if he can eat food and he's really <laughs> generous about sharing that like, mm-hmm. like that's how i've gotten to you know my music taste i listen yeah. to a lot of west african 70s mm-hmm. psychedelic funk and a lot of it is because of David Byrne. They have that section at Walmart, right? I was going to say, do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a yeah. very long descriptor. <laughs> I'm into Nigerian disco right yeah. now. And a lot of it is because of I've been on a, a connection kick. through... The what? I've been on a Fela Kuti kick lately. I, was, <laughs> I thought you said yeah, at, a, at a show or something. I was like, what? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm Fela. Is, yeah. Uh, we Actually, I think one of our first conversations was about that at Nam right after. Yeah, I was playing it. And you're together. like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you're out, with, you're out with David Byrne. And then, like, did you stick with him for a while? I was or? with David for a year. It was the whole, that whole tour. Right. Uh, and uh, we finished that tour and... Um, 
I don't know what I did after that. I think I, I think at that point I realized, you know, now I have friends at these higher levels mm-hmm. and I was starting to get some offers. Um, you know, like everybody does, you get calls and the, um, I got a call from the production manager from that tour was touring with a guy in, uh, the UK named Mika. So he, the um, Euro pop type of guy. And, um, he was trying to get me on with him, but he calls me one day and goes, Hey, what do you got going on in the next few months? I said, I don't have anything booked right now. He said, I got a, there's a little UK band that's coming to the US and they, they're doing a theater tour and they need a tour manager or a production manager. You think you can do it? I was like, yeah, I can do production manager, theater tour, no problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we go back and forth a few times and every time I get a little bit more information, he's like, well, it's going to be multiple nights at a deal. And now it's going to move into arenas and, you know, but you know, you can still handle it. And I'll help you. I'm, I'm, I'm can't leave UK, but. I can help you if you need some help with advancing it and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, wait, who's this band? It's always the last thing I ask. Who's this band? <laughs> I'm just working, man. And um, he says, I don't know, some some young pop band called One Direction. <laughs> and I was like, never heard of them. He goes, me either. But they're paying. So I was like, they're paying. Tell me where to be, when to be there. And uh, he, uh, it's the loudest chair I think I've ever said. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Long, they ended up doing multiple nights in arenas because they are One Direction now, or, or were then, and uh, they ended up bringing their UK crew over. But I got several of those almost, right. almost that big, that big gig. And you know, he wanted me to come tour manage Mika, and it was like because they were doing stupid things, like it was all private jets, but they had to do a show in Paris, and then they'd fly to Vietnam for a show the next day, and then I mean, it was like barely able to do it. On a private jet type show. You look at a map. Before? Yeah. <laughs> Are you and, uh, aware of how the Earth works? <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had email me and be like, "Dude, can you come take over this tour manager I'm having issues with, or we don't have one? They want me to do both jobs or whatever." And then the next email would be like, "Screw this! I, I'm going to quit and come back. You got anything I can do in U.S.?" And just, I don't know why I'm thinking about a flat Earth or a tour manager. <laughs> you know, awesome job. <laughs> but the, uh, oh man. Um, but it, you know those no, kind of never hit, and so I decided to go back while I was working. You know, with trying to Patrick Whitley was trying to get me on one of his tours and help me out, and this guy was trying to help me out. Um, Mark Edwards is his name, um, and uh, which you know bring him on here, give him it be more than a couple probably, and get him to start telling the stories, and you'll really have some stories. He uh, Iggy Pop was his first gig. Oh, if I remember right, he spent he spent the seventies and eighties with David Byrne and uh, David Bowie. Um, he did Metallica Black. He did one of the, wow. He did a um, he did a Stones tour, and he won't tell you stories if you just ask him. But if you let him get to him, he's got some good stories. He also was in uh, he was in school in Iran as a kid, with all of the diplomats' kids because his dad was a builder uh, build, building something in Iran. He has a great story about watching the basically the Iran Contra thing go down at the airport. Whoa! But, wow, uh, that's anyway, crazy. I. I those are his stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get to those. But I decided to go back and you know show that like I wasn't just a one-trick pony. I didn't work for like people actually wanted me back. Not mm-hmm. just that I worked with all these artists; they wanted me back. So I went back and started working for Ziggy again. Um, in my after I did the first Ziggy tour, I did an Oza Motley tour. Um, so I went back and did another Oza Motley tour, and um, just to kind of show that I wasn't I wasn't there and like yeah I got through the tour, but they didn't want me back and you know build my build my career. Um, and then somewhere, somewhere around that time, um, I was with Ziggy in South America, and um, I won't say I got the call that nobody wants to get, but I almost got the call that nobody wants to get on the road. 
Um, my family knew when I was out of the country and didn't call me because they knew it was $5 a minute. And my phone rang when we're checking in for a flight. Uh, we're leaving Sao Paulo, heading to Lima. And uh, it's my sister, and I answer the phone. I was like, what's going on? And um, she said, well, Dad's had a heart attack. He's in surgery. They don't know if he's going to make it. And I got on a plane. And that's a that's not that long of a flight in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I've flown to Australia and Tokyo, <laughs> but but that flight was longer because you there's no there was no air phone. <laughs> you know, it wasn't one of those flights. And um, you know, five or six hours later, whatever it was, I got off the flight, and you know, it was one of those countries you don't turn on your phone until you've gone through customs. Like, and yeah, I said, screw it, turned on my phone and called. I was like, I, I'll call you when I get to the hotel, but what's going on? She said. He's out of surgery, and it looks like he's going to be okay. And uh, it was that point I thought, I can't do this. I can't not be there for my family. And uh, it was around that same period of time when I started working with Jeff Krebs, uh, producing events for other companies. And, um, you know, our our joke was always, when we have our own company, we'll do it our way, or we'll do this different, and we'll do that different. And um, kind of thinking, like, how do you transition from a tour – a tour life, a tour job to home. Like, I don't want to go back to the beginning because somehow I catapulted over the pushing cases version. I was never an A2 or A3 on tour. I never, I, I didn't have to fly stage right PA for Claire Brothers for five years before I got to mix a show. I, I just, I somehow missed that in my, my life, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to go back and start doing that with a local company. Um, you know, I did a couple shows here and there for a couple companies around here. Um, but I was like, how do you transition that? Well, then I started producing shows with Jeff and I thought, you know, this is a way to do that. I become an event producer. And I've, I've done shows at, at that point in 53 countries. Uh, I've done, you know, festivals in 53 countries. I've, I understand what, what works and doesn't work around mm-hmm. the world. And, and so I have a lot of knowledge to offer. Um, and Jeff had a lot of knowledge to offer too from his, his talent. And we did a show up in, uh, up in Cape Cod and uh, we were, it, Without telling the whole story because it's way too long, we were at our hotel pissed off at the end of the night, sharing a room in uh, Provincetown. And uh, most of the men that share rooms in Provincetown, you know, don't sleep in separate beds. And it, so it was a whole weird situation. But we were just done. It was just, it, it's got to be able to be done better was with, our, mm-hmm. with our decision. So I got my laptop out and I'm like, if we had a company, what would we call it? And um, sat there and I bought the website. I designed the logo, you know. And um, made business cards, and I was just every once in a while I'd show it to Jeff, and hey, what do you think about that? He goes, well, that's cool, and I, I think he thought I was joking. <laughs> hey, and, I'm gonna uh, start a business. We got, oh yeah, funny. we got back from Cape Cod. And <laughs> sure, I'll sign that. <laughs> we got back from Cape Cod. I went and got our DBA. I uh, my business cards were at my house a few days later, and uh, I took business cards and a partnership agreement to Jeff, and I said, let's go get business. And um, I we landed our first gig shortly after. And um, Gail Hall at City of Grapevine gave us an opportunity. And um, we, um, I borrowed my wife's credit card. She had the card that she was responsible with her whole life, had a $25,000 limit. And I went to her and I said, listen, this is going to sound stupid. But if you'll let me use your credit card and trust me to pay it off, I'll be home in five years. I'm going to quit touring. But it's going to take five years to do it. And uh, that was in 2012 when we started the company. And uh, in 2014, September 1st to be exact, I flew home from my last tour and been working and running Epicenter ever since. Hmm. You know, wow. I miss wow. it. That was a lot shorter than, than you said. I bet she was yeah. pretty happy about that. It, <laughs> it, um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think she was scared to be the one that took touring away from me. She wanted me home. But, you know, if, if somebody takes away that thing you love, you're always going to resent them oh, for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so she was she was good to let me make, come to the decision myself. But she needed me here. I wanted to have a family. My family needed me here. And uh, and it's worked out. That's and a tough decision. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I miss it. I, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, there's a, there was a period in my life that my dad knew where I was better than I did. Um, I'd send him a tour schedule so he know, and he was the guy that I text when I get on a plane. Um, and that's a whole other story, but when I started doing that, but if I got on a plane, my dad knew what, I, what plane I was on. Mm-hmm. And um, then, uh, and he would call me like in U.S. He would call me every morning almost, and, and say, "Hey, how's Philly today? Or how's Detroit today? Or oh, I'm in Detroit. And, that's uh, right. You know, and it's like <laughs> it would literally it would be those days. I'm, I'm days getting up off the bus and like, man, I need coffee. And he'd literally call me and say, "Hey, how's?" How's Boston? I was like, oh, Boston, the coffee shop's over here, you know? <laughs> and um, and he was kind of the one that reminded me where I was half the mm-hmm. time because you don't realize that it's Groundhog Day. You go to sleep, you walk out the back door of a venue, you lay down in a bus, you wake up in a bus, you walk back in the back door of a venue, and it you don't know if you're in Rome, uh, Rome, Italy, or Rome, Texas, Yeah, you know, except that, for the smell. That's interesting because you talk about the beginning mm-hmm. and and how the rough days and how much you love it but it, it clearly at some point it stopped being the fun start diminishing and in, 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 in missing home and, and i don't think I, I never got to where i was missing home mm-hmm. but that responsibility i felt to my family is what what started getting it seemed me. like you had the foresight to, to see that mm. it could go well you don't want to do it forever and, and you know so in uh, what, 2008, there was a big recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is touring didn't slow down even. Like, it was going. But instead of taking all four of us sitting in this room, they're going to take two of us, and two of us are going to have to do two jobs. Yeah. So I watched a lot of my friends who were, you know, seasoned veteran tour guys that did they could run sound really well or they could tour manage really well, but they couldn't do both. And they started going home. And what I was seeing is these guys who were great guys go home and get divorced shortly after. And it was because when I wasn't here, I had my life on the road. And it was this, you know, it was this rock star lifestyle of, you know, I had per diem, so I did whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to go out on a on a day off, I did. If I wanted to go buy a new, you know, all new clothes one day, I did. If I wanted a new laptop, I got it because I had money. My wife would go and do her normal thing. She was working, so she'd go to work and come home and go to work and come home. And, uh, you know, and it was just two separate lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that she ever had to not have money or anything, but it was two lives. And I would see when it came back, it would take me time, take us time to figure out how we fit back in each other's lives. Yep. And I wasn't willing to lose my wife over it. Yeah, and, there's definitely a, a, a learning curve of when you come off the road mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, like you said, it's it's separate lives and you have to re-intertwine your life back together. And, and, and it's, it takes time to It's do still that. that way with festival season, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm gone from, you know, not last year, <laughs> hopefully more mm-hmm. fall than in the spring, but usually from the middle of March till um, first part of June, I'm pretty much gone. And then same thing in the in the fall season. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to figure out, it's it's a hard job to figure out how to keep that connection and then how to heal the connection that was broken while you're that busy. And that's in any job. If you have a big project, you're going to have that. But in this industry, it's, you know, we miss all the good times. That you know, first year. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm always available to go to my daughter's birthday. So I'm yeah. a five-year-old now. I'm hoping that I'm always able to go to her, her dance recital. But I know her dance recital this year is on top of one of our big events. And it's like, I, if it falls in the right time, hopefully I can be it for that, at least that period of time, you know. But it's, um, you know, it's those times that you need to be there that makes it nice to be in 
Grapevine mm-hmm. doing a show versus being in Sao Paulo. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, that first year is tough coming I, off the road. I think it's sure. I think it's a roadies have to make a decision at some point that you're, you know, roadie for life and all that entails or you're not in figuring out what to transition into. Because, you know, roadies can't necessarily just transition into home production work yeah. because you're at a different you're at a different <clears throat> pay scale you're at a different level of what you do you're thinking about a lot more than do i take that speaker or that speaker you know is it a k12 or a k12.2 you know it's yeah. there's so much more decisions around, i mean the only commonality is sound at yeah that point. yeah it's it's the same job it's just yeah. it's just how you do it mm-hmm. um and and it's you know that transition is hard to do uh and i lucked out i've, I've been i say lucked out I, I feel like i've been blessed my whole career um and you know, if, if this were a different podcast, I could explain it in a different way on what doors were open for me at times I needed them open, you know, and, and that whole thing, it's, I don't know anybody else who's skipped over that whole, you're the mule of this tour and got from where I was to where I got to, um, you know, and there's things I didn't learn because of that. I think I've ended up in a pretty good position with a pretty good knowledge base. And, and what I've learned is it's the people around you. You know, so I've uh, I've been blessed to have the right people around me when I was touring, and the ones that would trust me. And now I'm blessed to have the people around me now that can help me with what my shortcomings are in this business. Man, that's uh, you, you definitely t- took the long road. You know, <laughs> like that's but but like you said, you kind of skipped over some of the 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 things where you're like pushing cases and that kind of thing. But yeah. you definitely it sounds like you paid paid your dues along the way just in a little different way than everybody else yeah. usually does. Well, man, you have I, a record in Canada. I mean, come yeah, on. yeah, you have a record in Canada to show for us. <laughs> I, so. no, I just have to show them they don't have a record in the United States. There but. we go. Well, man, Yet. it was really cool having this conversation. This yeah. was great. I appreciate you doing this. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we, uh, we're definitely going to, uh, I feel like there's other stories there that we're going to have to talk about offline. So yeah. I'm going <laughs> to feel that coming on. So, well, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you, man. Yeah.